It's Women in Construction Week. Learn about what that means on the next On Air with Myrick O'Connell right now. Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This on-air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. March 7th through the 13th, 2021 is Women in Construction Week. Its goal is to raise awareness of the opportunities available for women in the construction industry and to emphasize the growing role of women in the industry. Today, Myrick O'Connell attorney Jess Murphy will talk with us about the need for women in construction and share the three questions they need to ask and know the answers to with certain deals. Jess is an experienced civil litigator concentrating on commercial disputes and construction issues. She counsels and represents a variety of local and national companies, including manufacturing and construction companies, banking and financial institutions, and professional service firms. Jess Murphy from Myrick O'Connell, thanks for joining us on On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Thanks, Howard. It's great to be here. Excellent. So first off, Jess, can you tell us a little bit about Women in Construction Week, the National Association of Women in Construction, and your role in the organization? Absolutely. The National Association of Women in Construction, or NAWIC as we like to call ourselves, was created in the 1950s as an organization to support and encourage women in the construction industry. Despite the small numbers of women in construction now, it was that much smaller back in the 1950s. Today, that organization has 115 chapters throughout the U.S. and internationally. And these are women who are construction company owners, tradeswomen, women who work in the construction office, and supporting industries like insurance, banking, and construction attorneys like myself. The National Association of Women in Construction in the 1990s took International Women's Day and decided to create a week to celebrate women in construction. And that's how we have WIC Week, uh, Women in Construction Week, that we're celebrating. For WIC Week, chapters all across the country will be recognizing women in construction with online postings, on billboards, with panels and educational seminars, and community service events. So, Jess, how did you become involved in construction law? Shortly after I was born and my dad found out I was healthy, he went to my mom and said that he was starting his own construction company. So from literally the moment I was born, I was in a construction family and really just walking outside to my dad's garage, I was able to pick up a tool and uh, cut something, build a dollhouse. Uh, So my love of construction runs deep. And it's something that I do now with my daughter, and I still go see my dad and hang out in his garage. When I went to law school, I was really drawn to construction law because of the family ties and because I could understand uh, the jargon and what went into construction jobs. I also really enjoy getting my own hands dirty. Um, My house is a constant ground for uh, improvements, and I've been involved in volunteering with Habitat for Humanity for the past six years. talk a little, Jess, about the importance of having women and female voices in construction. In short, it's really about diversity. Studies have shown that more diverse companies in all industries get to better solutions and their bottom line is improved because of it. So the the short answer 
is that it makes financial sense to include more voices and more diverse workers in the construction industry. Diversity brings in fresh ideas, different points of view. Women may have a different way to handle a challenge, bring in an innovation that hadn't been thought of, or simply bring different skills to a job. It's interesting that women represent slightly more than half of the population, but represent only nine to 10% of the construction industry. It's somewhat mind boggling that you would ever want to exclude half of the population from any opportunity. So think about all of the potential talent and people who can bring new and better ideas to make construction greener, more efficient and safer. If construction remains a 90% male populated industry, women with good skills and good ideas are being left out. The yeah. good news is that women have been increasing their numbers in the industry. The policy group on tradeswomen issues have been tracking these numbers and union apprenticeship programs have increased their women participation to 9.8% last year. The most recent numbers from the PGTI shows that this year, 20% of the new enrollees into union apprenticeship programs are women, which is a record. So Jess, the natural question from that is, how can we encourage this continued growth? I believe this success will keep building on itself as long as we support women in the construction industry. Women will be more inclined to seek out opportunities where there are already other women in the room. As an attorney for 16 years, I have certainly been the only woman in the courtroom at times. And it's much easier when it's not the case. At times when you're the only woman in the room, you may not want to speak up or you're less confident because you don't want to appear like you don't know what you're doing or that you don't deserve to be there. One of the great things about NAWIC is that they offer professional development and support. It gives women an opportunity to practice these skills and gain confidence to do their jobs better. Now, Jess, in order to help more women succeed and be able to speak with confidence in this area, what are three questions, because you have this uh, down to a formula, more or less, three questions every woman in construction should ask and know the answer to, in your view? I think it's really important that women get comfortable asking questions if they don't know the answer to this. So there's three great basic questions that I want to give people um, that to ask and to know when you go into jobs. Don't be afraid to ask these because I think it says more about um, you if you don't know the answers to these questions. If you're asking these questions, you're showing that you're aware of what's going on, that you're ready to show up and do the job and to do it right. So three basic questions you can start with is, who is your customer? A lot of people surprisingly don't know the answer to this one. And that's because customers take on a whole variety of different names. Legal entities have their own existence. And so it's a distinction between, are you working for Jane Smith, the plumber, or are you working for Jane Smith Plumbing Company, Inc.? Those are two different entities. And so knowing who you're working for makes a difference about whether you're going to get paid, who's paying you, um, and who you should take direction from, who has the authority to tell you what to do on a job. Something interesting uh, that our East Coast people will appreciate is that if you're working for Dunkin' Donuts, you don't know if you're working for Dunkin' Donuts 
the national brand, or if you're working for a franchisee, that may make a big difference in terms of whether you'll get paid. But on the other hand, if you're working for a Cumberland Farms, they have no franchises. So it's always a good idea, no matter what your level of the job is, to ask who is your customer and make sure you know the answer. That is definitely not a stupid question. Another question that I always suggest people know the answer to is what are you required to do to get paid? So this is about knowing the scope of work that you're being asked to do, know what's required. Have you looked at the drawings? One of my favorite things to tell people is RTC, read the contract. Even if it's written in legalese, somebody should be able to explain to you what it is that you're supposed to do. And you should know because once you sign the contract, even if you don't understand it, the law will hold you to understanding and complying with the contract. Also keep in mind that industry standards may not be the same as what shows up in the contract. And you are held to the contract you sign. So don't assume that things are the same from job to job or that there aren't any special instructions. The last thing I always suggest people ask and know the answer to as they go into it is what will happen if things don't go right? What will I do if I run into a problem on the job? Who do I need to report to? What type of notice do I need to provide? What do I do if I don't get paid? What do I do if I walk into a construction site and there's been damage overnight? How do I handle that question? And asking that and knowing how you'd react in a situation like that doesn't mean that you're not prepared and not ready to be in the room. I think to the contrary, it shows that you're preparing yourself to be ready for any eventuality and so that you can address the issues that might come up. So these are just three simple questions that everybody should feel comfortable asking and making sure they know the answer to uh, without feeling like asking these questions means they don't know what they're doing. We're talking with Myra O'Connell, civil litigator Jess Murphy, who concentrates on commercial disputes and construction issues. We're talking about the specific issue of women in construction. And right now, while we're recording this, the week of March 7th through the 13th of 2021 is specifically Women in Construction Week. And for more information about Jess and the firm, Myrick O'Connell, you can go to the website, what a coincidence, called MyrickO'Connell.com, M-I-R-I-C-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. Happy Women in Construction Week, everybody. Yes, indeed. And thank you again, Jess, for being with us on On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Thanks so much. Thank you, Howard. I'm Howard Kaplan. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. (laughs) 